Hello, my fellow alpaca pals. It is a rainy summer evening and we are back in the studio chatting about travel, but through a critical lens. And today is all about accessible travel. The average able-bodied traveler, myself included, has the privilege of not needing to consider certain things while on the road. I've never needed to email a hotel to check that they have an elevator or map my route based on how to avoid cobblestone streets. So today we're going to chat about this and more with Andrew Gerza. Hi, Andrew. Hi. Andrew is a disability awareness consultant. He has devoted his life to understanding and exploring what disability means. Through his own lived experience, he talks about disability in an honest way. He does this through speaking engagements, presentations, blog writing, and his podcast, Disability After Dark. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me today. Tell us about your podcast. Uh, we're almost nearing three years. Upon this recording, so by the time this comes out, it'll be past three years. Amazing. But we're just about hitting the three-year mark, 155 episodes, which is like, wow, how did that even happen? Um, it, and it's a, it's a show that started out as a sexuality and disability podcast, so I focus solely on like sex and disability, so a lot of it's that. But as I hit year three, I want to do a show that is about talking about the things around disability we never hear about. So Disability After Dark takes on this whole other meaning of like, what things don't we discuss enough about disability? So I'm really excited to like dive in there because it opens the doors for so much more content to talk about disability in a different way. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and it's I like I've listened to it myself, and it brings so much awareness to things that I like can, have never considered before. Yeah. Do you want to name some of the things that people need awareness about when it comes to disability? Yeah, I mean they need to be aware that disability could could affect anybody at any time could affect somebody if they don't even look disabled, they could be disabled. Um, I think that disability is something that we're afraid to talk about. We're scared of it because it's going to affect us one day, and that terrifies us. So I think, oh, there are so many things people don't think, don't consider. They just don't consider that, what would you want to happen if it were you? If you were in a disabled body, what would you want to have happen? You'd want support. So why aren't we giving disabled people who need support why aren't we giving them access to those supports? And that's one of the things that I'm consistently like, why, why? So I think, and also people don't consider how, I'm the master of going on, on tangents, so sorry. <laughs> uh, people don't consider how um, how disability feels. We always talk about how you became disabled or what happened to you or like, does your do your genitals work? I get that all the time. I get all those like base questions, but nobody asks like, hey, how does it feel to be disabled today, Andrew? How does that feel? So that's kind of the, what my show kind of explores is like, let's get into that and explore the lived experience of being disabled and what that really means and how that manifests for someone day to day. And for me, as a wheelchair user, it's different for somebody than who is, you know, who's a hard of hearing or blind. So I love having guests on the show who are completely different from me and that want to share their story. It's, just, it's a fun platform to be able to tell me all about your disability stuff. Yeah, it's great. I encourage everyone to listen in. Um, so we're going to be talking about travel, which I think, like, I don't know for sure, but I feel like it's not talked about a lot in terms of, like, how disability factors into travel and vice versa. Yeah, it's talked about a lot more now because 
airlines particularly are doing a really shitty job of uh, of accessibility and they're ruining chairs and mobility devices left, right, and center. So it is being talked about more, but still not enough. And some of the nuances of being disabled and trying to travel are not definitely not discussed. So I was, I was so excited when I got your email and you were like, we want to talk about this. And I was like, yes, it's about time somebody wants to. <laughs> so to begin our convo, I wanted to bring up a term that I think is important to know before we talk more about your travel experiences. And that term is ableism. Um, do you want to explain what ableism is? Sure. I mean, there's a lot of facets to ableism. There's sexual ableism. There's like, there's like just plain old ableism. There's like institutional ableism. There's like academic ableism. There's so many different ways you could couch it. But generally, ableism is discrimination against a disabled person because of their because they're disabled. Do you want to explain some ways that this manifests? Like, give an example. Uh. When the airline busts my chair and then wants to give me a a voucher to fly with them again. Right. That's ableism. Um, Yeah. When somebody says like, hey, what happened to you? That's ableism. When somebody says like, hey, I don't think I can sleep with you because you're in a wheelchair. That's it. Like, Mm. there are so many different examples. But basically, it's when somebody doesn't know how to manage the fact that you're a disabled person and says something or does something ignorant. Right. So I feel like language is really important to talk about before we dig in even further. Um, So I heard you mention in your podcast about how you prefer language that is identity first. Um, You explained it really well. So could you explain that as well? Don't know what I said on the podcast because it's probably been a while. (laughs) It was a tangent, but it was a really good tangent. Amazing. I'm the master, my show, if you want to listen to my show, I'm the master of like, let's go over here and do five tips, so yeah. yeah. But uh, I said probably something like, probably something like, I prefer identity first because disability is a part of me, and using words like cripple, using words like um, disabled person, really center disability for me in, in my body and who I am as a person, and so when for me... And just for me, this is not for every disabled person, but in my experience, saying person with a disability divorces you from the disability. I can't run away from it. I can't. It's not going to, it's going to be a part of me every day, all day. So saying disabled person is a really empowering way of doing that. Also saying cripple and using those, that kind of language, it was once oppressive, but a lot of disabled people have taken it back and said, no, this is a word for us to empower us. And for me, when I say when I use language like that on the show, on my show, it's like you can If I say it first, you can't hurt me. If I use it to empower me and show you that there's no shame in the word or the language, then then I, then we can't be afraid of disability. Also, when you call me the language I that I that I ask you to call me like cripple or disabled person, it means you care about me, and that's like that's that's something so rare. I think. A lot of able-bodied people want to be so politically correct when it comes to identity that they'll say, like, they'll use words like person with a disability all the time or handicapable, or, which is like, oh, gross. <laughs> or, like, what are the words? Special needs, like that kind of stuff. Because they don't know any better and they want to, they're trying really hard to be respectful. But just like we do with the trans movement and all the stuff we're doing with, like, sexual liberation right now and, and the different 
communities there. Like, we ask someone, hey, what's your pronouns? We need to be doing the same for disabled people. Like, hey, what is your disability identifier? What do you want to be called? What, what, what is, who are you? And how do we, how do I identify the fact that you're disabled? We need to do much more of that. Also, if a disabled person says to you, like, hey, you call me person with a disability. Actually, I prefer, like, disabled person. That's them saying, <laughs> that's them saying, I care about you. Like, please use the right language. If I didn't care about you, you could call me whatever. And I'm just like, all right, well, fuck off, whatever. You call me this. But if I call you out and say, hey, friend, would you please use cripple here? Like, especially with the people that I'm, like, because I run a sex podcast, I can say the, the dudes that I sleep with, I will make sex jokes about my disability. And I will expect for them to, you know, join in. Let's in it. Showing, and showing me that means you, you get that, this is a part of my experience and I can't, I can't run away from it. Yeah. And it's such an easy, simple thing to do. And I think people forget about this, like in all areas of their life. Like it is so simple to just ask someone. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a sign of respect to be like, Hey, what, how can I make, how can you access this experience? Whether you're disabled, whether you're trans, whether you're both, whether you're, you know, a person of color, whatever your experience is, Asking somebody what they want in any variation is like, it means that I want to do what's right by you and let's do that. So like calling me a disabled person means you care. Calling me a cripple means we're friends. Like there are are nuances to the people that I would let call me cripple and there are people that I'll say call me disabled person. But it means either way, it means that I want you to be a part of my life. Mm Mm-hmm. So please call me out and give me shit if I use any language that you don't like or that you despise. Amazing. Or that is wrong. Feel free. Standing at the ready. Well, I'm (laughs) I'm not standing anywhere, but... Just swear at me, whatever you want. Um, okay, so you did an amazing episode of Disability After Dark that really stood out to us as travelers um, about how to plan a romantic getaway for your disabled partner. Um, so if you haven't heard this up, I definitely recommend it. But since you've already covered that on your podcast, um, tell us about your journey into travel. How about you start with one of the first trips you ever took? I want to know, like, were you afraid? What hurdles did you encounter? What challenges did you think you would encounter that you maybe didn't? Just tell us about your first experience. Yeah, I was five, and I went from Toronto to California to go to Disneyland. And I remember being the most excited and, like, loving it because it was Disneyland and I was five. (laughs) And, of course, like, it was great. I don't remember... Honestly, I don't remember the hurdles because I was five. Um, so I'm sure there were some, but I don't remember what they were. Um, and I just remember loving the plane. I love the idea of like going up in the air. And I was like a little kid. But the time that I really remember traveling was probably when I was like 10 or 11 and going from Toronto to Florida with my family to, to like a resort for just vacation. And like learning that you had to make sure that the wheelchair was figured out you had to call ahead like watching my mom plan everything when we did the trip i would have watched her set up like call the airline weeks in advance and figure that out and call the resort to make sure accessibility and i would watch her sit on the phone for hours and i wouldn't understand like why is this so complicated why why for me do you have to do everything but it instilled in me like okay this is what you're gonna have to do when you travel and now what i do for work when i travel is that i know how to call the airline 
sit on, <laughs> sit on the phone for 50 hours and like cry about my, what my needs are and say, I need this, I need this, I need this. Like, it really taught me from a young age, traveling for you will be different. It isn't easy to do that, but you can still do it. So I, I remember as a kid, like loving, sitting in the kitchen, watching my mom plan all this stuff. And not understanding at the time, but now that I'm older, I totally get what she did, why she did it that way. Mm -hmm. Because she really showed you through her own actions that, like, this wasn't unavailable to you, that, like, you could still experience travel. And so many times when we traveled together, like, they would get the seating wrong, they wouldn't know how to carry me on and off the plane, they'd bust my chair. And, I mean, it happens even now, almost every time I travel, it happens, but... Mm I know now because of those moments when I was young, I know exactly how to navigate that. I know exactly what to say. I know exactly who to speak to. I know exactly how to raise hell. Like I know what, I know how to get what I need when I travel, which is great because I do it now for work. I go and I speak all over the world about being disabled and queer and people always say, do you want to fly out? And I'm always like, I do, but here are the realities of that. And sometimes I'll say like, can I just do the talk from my house on Skype? Like, can we just do it from Toronto because it's easier? But like, if somebody really wants me there and they like want me to do it, I have to I have to walk so many so many organizations through like, okay, you want me to come? Great. Here are the millions of things I need you to do to make sure that that's okay. Can you tell us about like some of the things that like as able-bodied people we wouldn't think of as being hurdles for yeah. travel? Yeah. So you have to call the medical desk when you book. So the medical desk, whatever airline you're working with, so let's say it's Air Canada, you have to call their medical desk after you book and say, okay, here, here's what his disability is, here's what his needs are, here's the kind of seating he needs, and you have to sit on the phone with the agent for sometimes an hour, sometimes two, to try to get the proper seating, to try to make sure they have notes on file about your wheelchair, to try to make sure they have the measurements of what your chair is, so when they try to put your chair in the plane, they don't fuck it up. Um, then when you get to the airport, you have to consider, like, you have to make sure that they have somebody on the ground crew who's going to be able to lift you from your wheelchair to an aisle chair, then on the airplane safely. Like, you have to make sure that, um, they have accessible washrooms, not on the air, not on the airplane necessarily for me, but even in the airport, just if you're there waiting and you go to pee, what if, what if it's, what if it's not accessible? Mm-hmm. So, like, all these things. And this is just the airport. Like, this isn't even your destination Yeah, you're not yet. even there yet. And so what will happen when you get there? Like, what if they bust your chair? What if your chair is damaged? Like, you have to get ready to go from the plane to the airport to fight with the airline about, hey, you just bust my chair. I went, I just recently went from Toronto to, to Newark, New Jersey back in June for an award that I won. And I got to go to New York for the night and be with a bunch of gay celebrities. It was super fun. <laughs> um, but on the way there and on the way back, they damaged my chair. Ugh. Both directions. Both, yeah. Which is not uncommon. I was ready for it. I knew it was going to happen. When they, like, they, they damaged my chair so badly that I, the chair was sopping wet and it was in pieces when I got it. And I posted that all over social media. Because I was like, no, no, I'm not letting you get away with this. Somebody needs to see that you messed up my... So they wanted to give me a $500 voucher to fly with them again. And I was like, do you think that I... You just damaged my $30,000 wheelchair. Why would I fly with you again? So so I, I had to, to navigate that. And, and then when you get mad and frustrated, they, they, they go, oh, we just didn't know any better. And it's like, imagine if if you're on a plane and they broke your legs and said, oh, that's okay. Here's a lollipop so you can fly with us again. 
And that's ableism. Yeah, that's like, like a concrete example. But I mean, not only is it a concrete example, also it's like just flat out prejudice. Yeah. It's basically sending the message to any to say, and this is not just Air Canada. This is not just like Canada. This is every airline in the world. They don't have things designed for a disabled traveler, which sends the message to a disabled person that you shouldn't travel. Yeah. Which sends the bigger message that you're not a full person because you can't, like, it sends the message that disabled people don't deserve to leave their house. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's hard to say, but, like, what are things that airlines could be doing to improve this? Or that, like, we as travelers could be doing to support? Uh, that's a great question. Anything. What <laughs> travelers can do? Yeah. Uh, when somebody with a disability says they, you know, an airline damaged my thing, tweet about it, write about it, write to the airlines, mm-hmm. tell them you want better service. Like when somebody with a disability is getting on the plane, and if you're in the seat next to them, move. Mm-hmm. Like let them get settled. If you're a passenger, do that. Like what the airlines could do, uh, just hire disabled people on their ground crew. Hire somebody with with various levels of disability, so that if somebody with a disability who's blind comes in and goes, "I need help," they have like, "Oh, we'll get the we'll get our blind team there." All oh, somebody with a, with a wheelchair comes in, "Oh, we'll get our wheelchair using team mm. down to help you." Oh, somebody with like, you know, hire disabled people so that every time I fly, I don't have to be like, "Excuse me, able-bodied person that doesn't know anything about my life." Here's what I need you to do, and then also what all the airlines can do. Can we? I, it's disturbing that it's 2020 and we haven't built planes yet where wheelchairs can just yeah. roll on. Like, why is that? A, why is that not happening? So, if the airlines want to do something, they'll 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 put a couple million dollars, billion dollars into building planes that disabled people in wheelchairs with mobility devices can actually access. Yeah, that's actually like and. <laughs> I feel so silly because, like, I never considered this, but it's absolutely true. Like, how freaking hard is it to just like create a space in the plane? I mean, it's really not. All they have to it's do is take out. All. all they have to do is take out some some of the seats or build a bigger, you know, yeah. front section or whatever. Because you know what? If the plane goes down, I'm going down anyway. So, like, yeah, <laughs> that's it. But mom and I have a running joke sometimes <laughs> because they'll come by us when they're doing like cross check on the airplane, and they'll yeah. say like. Do you know the emergency exits would just laugh because, like, okay, if the plane goes down, like, it was nice to know you. What, like, yeah. what am I gonna do? Like, all right, bye. So, like, like, <laughs> what I'm saying is, you can put plane, you can put chairs in planes because if it goes down, I'm going down. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's so true. Um, yeah, I think it's really difficult for able-bodied folks to imagine, like, not only regular life for someone who has a disability, but traveling with a disability. Um, so we saw your recent Twitter post about your chair getting completely soaked and mishandled by Air Canada. Yeah. And you mentioned this already. Um, and I've been reading about hurdles like airplanes that don't have an aisle chair available for passengers with mobility issues. Yeah. Um, what other issues are you finding in the airplane? In the airplane. Uh, the fight over the bulkhead seating. Oh, yeah. The fight over the extra leg room. So that's one of the things you have to call the medical desk and beg them for is like, hey, I'm disabled and I can't bend. I need the front of the row so that I can stretch out. And they'll go, well, the seats are reserved for like the higher paying customers. And it's like, is it really though? Like I have needs. Can we just, can we give me that? Why does it have to be, why is it so complicated right now that you can't just let me have like the row? And so that's really frustrating. And then also like, 
why isn't there washrooms that I can use? Like, for me, I could never use the washrooms. So, But why can't they make a plane? Like, look, why can't they treat disabled people like giant celebrities and build those planes that are huge that has all the stuff on it and make that the disabled airline? I don't care. It would just be easier, and I'll still pay economy prices, whatever, fine. But if I can get on the plane with my chair and use the bathroom and move my chair around if I have to, like, it can be done. We're just not, we don't care enough about marginalized people when they fly Mm. to make it a reality yeah and it's crazy to me too so like it's not really a comparison but katie and i both have severe food allergies and i've had frustrations with airlines because they can't i've never been fed on an airplane whatever i do i call them i beg like they will not feed me they won't they refuse they're like it's not safe and one time i had air canada tell me they didn't want me to board the plane because it was too much of a liability (laughs) for me to fly with them and it's like how hard is it just like that's such a simple thing like provide a nut-free meal like you're providing like 20 other different meals with restrictions i hope you're listening like and it's so to not not that I want to bash them, but I will bash them here because why not? Um, you know they say they just won all these awards for being the best airline in Canada, yeah. and it's like who is giving you these awards? Your friends? They're also like the only airline in Canada. Like, I mean, it's just so it's just so silly. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah, I agree. Um, so flying is one thing. Um, what are the kinds of hurdles you encounter when you like when you reach your destination? Can you get accessible transit from the airport to your hotel? Yeah. Uh, is the hotel you booked actually accessible? Like, whose accessibility standards did they use to decide if you can get in the hotel or not? Like, uh, did they damage your chair so much that you can't leave the airport or you can't get out of the airport? Mm. That's happened before. Where they damaged my, my chair so much that it's like, okay, we're going to be here for three more hours because... I went to a talk a couple years ago in Chicago. We get to Chicago, and I've never been there, and I'm excited because I'm like, ooh, Chicago, like, big city. Ooh, it looks like we're, we get there, and then you damage my chair so badly it wouldn't drive. And I'm there with my friend who's doing my personal care, and we're in the hotel, and they were like, well, the part we need is eight hours away, and the guy's going to come get it for you, but he's not going to be able to be here tomorrow afternoon. So you have to sit there all night in the hotel. And we hung out, and we just watched TV. It was fine. But it was like... What if I had what if I was, had other jobs to do? What if I was like coming in for my talks? What if I had like things to do that required me to be there? What would I do? What if I was being paid to speak, which is my job? What if I like mm. they take no no consideration for like what happens if you're a business person and you're disabled and you're trying to get somewhere? You lose out on wages and revenue and time, and so who's going to compensate you for that? Yeah. So there's so many different degrees to the kind of discrimination that you experience. Oh, yeah. There's, there, there's like, personal. There's professional. Because mm-hmm. it looks bad on you if you can't mm-hmm. go to an event because your chair's busted. And usually the event space, the, it's, you're being asked to come by non-disabled people. So they don't know what it means when your chair's busted. And so you have to do the game where you're like, oh, hey, sorry, my chair's totally damaged. Um, Maybe I'll get there tomorrow. And that's what happened with the conference. Like, I wasn't speaking for the next day, but I had to... Be like, I can't come to the open, the opening ceremonies tonight because my chair is busted. Sorry, and then you feel bad because somebody flew you out for that express thing, and then you're like, sorry, the airline damaged my chair. In this case, were they understanding? 
Yeah, they were totally fine, and like okay. they were super sweet about it. But I, I, I felt bad because I know I'm, you know, I'm trying to build a brand on talking about disability, and how can I do that if I'm stuck in a hotel room because the airline damn good chair? Yeah, yeah. So we've talked pretty frequently on Alpaca about how sexual identity, gender identity, and like we mentioned, something like a peanut allergy impacts not only the trip itself, but the preparation for the trip. So we've seen that identity and medical conditions can often dictate where a person can travel, um, and it can involve specific preparations and research. So when you travel for leisure, how has disability impacted your choice of destination? I, th- I go somewhere hot <laughs> because I have spastic cerebral palsy, which means if I get too cold, my muscles get too tight, and then it's hard for me to do anything. Ooh, yeah. So I hate winter, and I hate the snow, and that's not my thing. So like I'm always like, hey, let's find a way to get to LA. Let's find a way to get to like California. Let's find a way to get to Florida where it's hot. <laughs> um, and then I think about where can the wheelchair go? Like, what's the most accessible? Like, I'm not usually going to like mountainous resorts. That's not my thing. <laughs> I'm like flat, like. Sea level thing, sure. I'm not. I'm not going way up high to be an adventurer because the wheelchair can't do that. I'm thinking flat where there's like gravel and it's easy to get around. And what kind of research uh, in advance goes into preparing for a trip? Finding again, finding an accessible hotel, like phoning the hotel and asking, phoning the airline and doing that thing we talked about, like yeah. So it's like hours. I'm assuming of research that goes into it. Um, not. I wouldn't say hours. Well. Yeah, I, I don't do it all at once, but I, I'll, if I'm, like, I'm going to London in a couple of weeks with my family, and uh, I'm so excited, and so we, we did hours of research together, like, well, hours over a few months of, like, hey, where do we want to go, let's find the best spot, let's look at, like, what's cost-effective, too, because a lot of disabled people don't have a lot of money, mm. so, or they're on social assistance, so traveling is, like, it is really, truly a luxury, so when this opportunity to come to London came up, we... We're like, hey, we gotta save money. We gotta like, I gotta put some money in. We'll all put our money in together and we'll go. So that that's a consideration too of like, how much money am I willing to spend to do this versus will I have enough to live after I do this? Mm-hmm. And I guess like from that perspective, your choices are limited when it comes to like hotels or restaurants. Whereas I have the privilege when I travel of like choosing a really cheap hotel, but I don't have to think about whether it's accessible for me or yeah, not. Yeah, see, I have to pick higher end stuff mm. because I need to ensure that accessibility is there. So I can't. My friend and I once, I want to say like 10 years ago, more than that, 12 years ago, we went to New York for the very first time and I'd never been. And we went, we decided, we were like 22, and we decided to book a hostel. And I was like, cool, and we're young and impressionable, and that was a, like a cool 20-something thing to do. So we went, and we get there, and we phoned them, and they promised, and they said, it's a all one floor, he'll have no problem, he'll get his wheelchair in, no big deal. So we get there at midnight on like a Wednesday in Manhattan, and we I've never been in Manhattan, scary if you'd have been there, so I'm terrified of everything. So we get there. To this, to this hostel, and there's, like, five stairs leading up to it. My friend and I were like, what the fuck do we do now? So my friend, being the resourceful friend she was, grabbed a piece of plywood from the rats in a in a garbage dump, like, a few feet away, and was like, okay, Andrew, I'm putting this over the stairs, drive up this. And I was like, what? 
So we did. We somehow managed to like drive. I drove up it and almost died. Pretty sure I almost died. But we somehow made it in there. And then we get in there. There was no. They were bunk beds. And my friend was like, how are we going to do this? So like somehow we we had to stay there all night. We had to like call our hotel website and be like, how do we how do we fix this? So they found us a place in New Jersey the next day, which is a whole other journey to get there. But, like, you really have to consider that story. I share that story to say, like, you can't just, oh, let's go and see what happens. It has to be really meticulously considered because you want those creature comforts. And if you just hop in a hostel, that's not going to happen. Yeah, for sure. All right. So one thing that I've openly talked about on my site and, like, on the podcast is how travel, especially solo travel, has helped me personally to gain a sense of empowerment and independence that I never experienced before. Um, And I'm realizing that this empowerment and independence that I feel while traveling is one of probably many examples of my privilege, especially in a travel context. Um, (laughs) You're like, yes, absolutely. Yeah, got Um, it. (laughs) Have you experienced empowerment traveling yourself? And if so, like, how has that shown itself or manifested? Um, I don't travel on my own. I need somebody to travel with me all the time. So the idea of traveling independently is not realistic mm. for me. Yeah. But I love the idea of interdependence and traveling with somebody. Because when I bring an attendant with me, like, I will make sure they're paid for. I will make sure they have all their things. I will make sure, like, so they're not doing all this for me. They're, they're, t- do, they're taking care of me, but I'm making sure that, you know, they are also cared for. So there's, like, a nice friendship bondy thing when somebody goes with you to do your care and to travel with you um i also think that like i love being able to travel with somebody and be like look what i do like because of my show or because of my like speeches that i didn't ever think would be a thing i'm now able to travel to all these places because i'm one of very few people doing a thing and so to be able to take my friends who also do my care on those journeys with me or in some cases like i'll take when I went to New York in June, I took my mom and we went together. There's something really awesome to be like, look what I did. I got myself from Toronto to New York all because I said some words and people liked it enough that they wanted me to like be a part of this thing. So it was really like, that's really cool to know that from my bedroom where I create my show and where I do all my work, like the world is listening enough that they're like, hey, you want to come and be honored at this thing? Like I was honored with Elton John and like Dan Levy and like big stars. So it was, like, really cool to be like, Mom, want to come with me on this adventure where I have to go to New York? Like, like but <laughs> there's something, like, really cool about being able to say I have to go to L.A., I have to go to New York for a job that I basically created out of thin air. Mm-hmm. I think that's the beauty of podcasting, especially. It's, like, beautiful how you can sit in your own home and, like, reach so many people. And, like, people are really listening to you which is like because when i'm sure when you do this show too like you don't think about who's listening you just do it and you're like all right well maybe somebody will yeah like i honestly always think that five people are listening and then i I look at the numbers and i'm like oh there's way more than that (laughs) i know it's like a pleasant surprise (laughs) um so what advice do you have for someone who is nervous to travel with their disability whether that's a visible or invisible disability i would say (laughs) be nervous (laughs) I would say talk to other disabled people about it. There's a guy on Twitter, or no, on Facebook rather. His name is Corey Lee, and he travels with he travels all over the world with his wheelchair and with a team of people. It's called like 
Curb Free with Corey Lee, I think is his site. Oh, yeah. I think I've seen his site. Yeah. And he does. He's been on, like, the news. He's been on, like, a bunch of magazines. He won, I think, a Webby Award or something. I think. Anyway, mm-hmm. he's, he's very well known in the disability community. He does all the traveling. So, like, I would say go on those sites and, like, see what what he, what they say, what other disabled travelers say about the plays you're doing. I would say don't let it deter you, but really think about what do you need before you go? What are you going to have to pack? What are you... How... What kind of resources will your attending care worker need when you're there? Like, think all that through before you just decide to, like, I'm going to go here. Because mm. if you get there and you don't have the thing you need, then, then no one's going to help you. Yeah. And on that note, I've actually noticed, like, both on Twitter and Instagram and blogs, there are a lot of disabled travelers who are actively talking about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is. It is. That's why when you said earlier, like, we don't talk about them enough. And so I, I would counter that with we we generally as the world don't. But if you talk to, like, a disabled bunch of people, yeah, we're talking about it all the time because it constantly happens to us when we try to, like, navigate traveling. We're always dealing with, like, someone being like, oh, I broke, they broke my chair today. Or, oh, this happened. They're like, so it is talked about in certain circles that that just needs to expand out into the real world. Because one day everyone's going to need a mobility device or have an invisible disability. And when they when that happens, they're still going to want to go to their... They're going to want to be 85 going to Fort Lauderdale still. And they're going to want to <laughs> help to do that. So we need to plan for that now. Like, I just find it really troubling that we haven't planned for this now. Because all of us are going to experience disability or chronic illness in some way at some point. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be... All the resources should be there. Yeah. So, like, really what we can all do is just amplify voices, be that through, like, resharing on Twitter. Yeah, like, send Air Canada a tweet right now that's like, hey, you messed up Andrew's chair back in June. Maybe you want to give him more than a $500 mm-hmm. voucher to fly with you. Like, So they never give you anything else for that? They, I emailed them and I said, I will do workshops for you. Like, I'll do paid work for you. I'll do, like, a campaign with you. I'm happy to, like talk about this with you i'll go and i'll meet your ground crew and discuss the things and they said they came back with oh here's a, here's 500 more dollars i was like great you're gonna give me a thousand dollars to fly with you which is which is not money it's a thousand dollars to fly with you so it was like if you cut me a check for a thousand dollars that would be different you simply said here's a free ticket to fly with us Ooh, like that's not that doesn't make me feel confident so now just as a personal preference, I am refusing to fly with them ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good call. Um, okay, so confronting ableism. How can able-bodied folks be allies? And not just like in travel, but like in our lives in general. Um, I think the first thing we need to do is realize we're all ableist. All of us. Even if we have the best intentions, myself included, I can say some ableist shit too. We can't hide from it. We need to start owning it. When somebody who's marginalized calls us out or hopefully they call us in because sometimes call outs can be really like whoa that was a lot hopefully they call us in and be like hey like i really don't enjoy cancel culture that we have right now where it's like i'm gonna cancel you because you said that thing and so i try to be like okay where do you come from like what are you trying to say underneath your ableism what are you really trying to ask me here and if if i want to help you with that then i'll use my my story to do that otherwise like figure it out on your own but the first step is to realize we're all ableist we're all racist we're all those things we can all be those things we have to be better at how we react when somebody reminds us that we're all those things mm-hmm. i love that term calling people in versus calling them out like bring them in why are you like 
I think this is the trouble with social media culture is that people can just send a tweet and be like, so-and-so's an asshole, cancel. And it's like, well, no. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. like, can you just slow down instead of canceling everybody? If you cancel everyone, you're going to have no one to, like, be your friend afterwards. So, yeah. like, There's not enough focus on listening a lot of the time, I find, that people, like, and it takes work. And this is another thing that I've thought, like, it's something, like, I consider myself a feminist and I also consider it a lot of work to be a feminist educating other people about the challenges that women face in society and so similarly like it's this like weird balance of balancing the work of calling people in with like your own mental health oh totally you have to decide like is this worth it enough to get in like do i really want to get in a 2 a.m like facebook argument with some rando that i'm never going to talk about or Mm -hmm. is this my friend that i really care about and they said something problematic and i want to like guide them and usually in my case um, if it's somebody that I want to sleep with and I really think they're attractive and they, <laughs> they said something kind of shitty, I'm like, all right, all right, let me guide you because I might end up, we'll be naked in bed later. So maybe, like, maybe I want to fix that. But it, or also, if it's a good friend, like... It's <laughs> being super real with you. But, like, if it's a good friend, also, too, like, hey, you said something... Yeah. And I would hope that if I said something wrong in... Other communities, somebody would call me in and say, like, yeah. hey, you, hey. And I've done it with people with certain pronouns. I've messed up their pronouns. been like, oh, wow, I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll do better next time. And then, like, mm. the same with disability. Like, if, if you call me differently abled and I prefer disabled, like, oh, sorry, mess that up. I'll do better next time. It's, I think the problem with that is, is also you can't self-appoint yourself to be an ally. I hate it when people do this in social justice. You, being an ally is not a self-appointed position. You have to earn that in whatever community you come into. So I don't come in and be like, oh, hi, I'm an ally to the trans community. Unless a trans person says, no, 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 he's an ally. Like, because that's not my place. Just like I would hope an able-bodied person not like, hey, I'm an ally to the disabled. Like, no, you're not. Did, did a disabled person say you were? Like, <laughs> So I feel like we need to remember that like it's a privilege to be a part of, of a marginalized person's life, especially when it comes to disability or, like, whatever marginalization they have. If they let you into their world, it's a huge privilege. And we, as myself, as a white cis person, have to be mindful of that around trans people of color or people of color generally. Um, whatever, that, again, whatever their marginalization, I'm rambling, but whatever their marginalization is, like, you have to be mindful of that. Like, it isn't, it isn't just expected that you're an ally because you have done work in social justice like ooh, good for you but like until somebody says i'm bringing you into this community as my ally you don't get to call yourself that Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. yeah no i totally agree okay let's have some fun talk ready tell us about your favorite travel memory (laughs) my favorite travel memory um well, we talked earlier on the show about how I have IBS, or not on the show, but we talked off the air <laughs> yeah. about how I have IBS and how sometimes I shit myself a lot. So <laughs> I can also tell you I have shit myself, especially while traveling often. Amazing. So we're best friends. Let, yes. That, I'm here for that. So, uh, my, so last April, my mom and my family and I went to Australia to visit my sister. And so... When we get down there, and I have been having trouble with constipation, and I was having trouble with, like, constipation and diarrhea. So we get down there, and one night I really had to, I had to shit like, really, <laughs> right away. And so in order for me to shit, I had to get up in this sling that I have, the special sling, this disability 
device. So my mom couldn't get me up there in time, <laughs> and I almost shot in her head. <laughs> and it's a funny story only because I'm disabled and only because, like, it would only happen in my circumstance. <laughs> because if I have a disabled body, that would never happen. So it's <laughs> funny because the whole family had to be involved in my shit. <laughs> and it was literally, it was just a really funny memory because it was like i was embarrassed but at the same time i was comfortable enough because my mom was like oh shit no big deal we'll deal with it like and and you know it just is a memory that i want to forget because it also reminds me the people who are willing to go with me on those journeys like i wish that a hot gay dude one day would be like hey andrew want to go on a trip like i would fall apart and die if that happened (laughs) But that's not going to happen because they have privilege in our community where they're not ready for that. But my mom, who's known me since I was, you know, since I was born, <laughs> is like, I don't care what happens to you, we're going. Like, that's why I'm so excited for, for Paris because nobody else would do it. So these memories of, that her and I have of like, even when we were in New York a few a few months ago, we we're in Manhattan and she was trying to get on a bus for us to get to the place we had to go. And she got on the bus and the driver drove away and left me on, on the street corner. And she had to like yell at the driver to go out to get off the bus to find me again. So the, all these weird little adventures we had yeah. all because I'm disabled have really brought us closer. And so those, those memories are the ones that stick out the best. <laughs> you should write a memoir one day about the time I almost should have been said. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just the one story. Just like three pages. <laughs> um, okay, final thoughts. Anything you want to share with the Alpaca Crew? Uh, I love the name of your podcast. By the way, when I got the email initially, I was like, "That's the coolest name ever." I'm here <laughs> for this. Also, uh, airlines hire disabled people, please. Also, disabled like disabled travelers, raise hell and get on those flights and get whatever deals you can and like use your disability to get whatever kind of deals you can because the world is full of ableism all the time. If you can get a deal from somebody because they feel sorry for you, take the fucking deal. <laughs> so like yes, um, and just disabled people just travel and and be don't be afraid to be like I want to go there let's figure it out well Andrew thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been so much fun thank you so much for having me it was such a pleasure it's a different it's a different podcast than what what I'm normally asked to be on so I was really excited to do it awesome um if you'd like to hear more from Andrew check out his podcast it's called Disability After Dark um you can also find him on social media we will link him in the show notes uh, anything else you want to let people know about? Events or anything? Uh, if you want to hire me to come speak at your school about anything around disability, you can hire me at www.andrewgerza.com. Yes, hire Andrew. This podcast is produced by Katie Lore and written and hosted by me, Erin Hines. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at at alpacamybagspod. Join our Facebook group, Alpaca Your Bags, or email us at <laughs> hello at alpacamybags.ca. If you like what you're hearing, please let us know by reviewing the podcast. And remember to subscribe while you're at it. Tune in every other Wednesday for more episodes. And I hope you all get to alpaca your bags soon. Until next time. 